What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Welcome to Living Your Life with Leanne Lang Podcast, brought to you in this COVID era from my daughter Andy's bedroom, far from the extension marketing studios and with the technical help of John Milkey from Blast Podcasts. I am fortunate to have kept this podcast running like clockwork and bringing you some great guests and topics as we work as individuals, families, communities, cities, and countries to survive this pandemic to the best of our abilities and to hopefully thrive on the other side. The one opportunity we have, at least the majority of us have, is to get outside and go for a walk. Feel the wind and eventually here in Canada, feel the heat from the sun, the breath as the fresh air and a sense of freedom from the forced quarantine and lives that we are living within the walls of our homes. Instead of a walk, some of you may opt to bike, maybe rollerblade and run. Some of you may have those new puppies with you. I'm going to get to that on another subject at another time. Ian Fraser is actually joining us today. Former Canadian elite Ironman competitor, cyclist, runner, restaurateur entrepreneur, and more recently titled Race Director for Ottawa Race Weekend. For those of you in the Ottawa area, you may be familiar with his established uh, cycling store, Psychologic. That was Ian's baby, which grew up and at the age of 18, happily left home. Ian, in fact, had just closed the doors this fall. We've got some great stories about Ian's athletic journey, but also some great insight into how many of you can take the opportunity over the next couple of months to get out and run or walk or maybe even run further than you thought, faster than you thought. You might choose to do it on a bike. We're also going to hit on that. All of this, hopefully, with a new passion for a sport and a new appreciation for your health. So I'm really excited to have Ian joining us. Ian, we were supposed to be talking about race weekend and the glory days and what people are going to have. Uh, what, you know, gosh, like what a way for you to start this career of yours as race director. Can you can you just believe the luck, right? It's, it's crazy. First, thanks for having me, Leanne. And, um <laughs> Yeah, it's it's uh, been a, a surreal last six months for sure. Um, this was the last place that I ever thought I would be in uh, in my first year uh, directing Race Weekend. Um, you know, being the executive director of Run Ottawa and having to cancel events, having to postpone things. Uh, it was just something I never thought about. But you know, it's part of a part of a crazy journey, and I think. Um, it's part of the storied history of Race Weekend, which goes back to 1975. Um, and I think this is just one more chapter in a really interesting event, for sure. I love your the outlook of it. I mean, because this was a big, this was a, a big endeavor to take on. And I yeah. think it was probably, you know, the years of you training for this job would you say like there there was the training and the time and the work put in just like an athlete to kind of reach this milestone of actually being at the helm of an event like this yeah it was it was it was pretty amazing so there were a lot of things in my life that kind of though I didn't know it kind of led me to this point um you know, I'd had a lot of, of race organization experience over the last decade or more. I had a, a, a medium-sized triathlon event company that uh, that I co-owned with two other people that had been around for 25 years as well. Um, so I'd had, you know, I'd had the athletic piece, I'd had the coaching piece, I'd had the retail side to the sports equipment stuff, and, and I did have some of the race direction um, experience. And so bringing that all together uh, and being honored uh, uh, to being able to lead this event forward was a, was something huge. And, and I kind of think I was preparing for all these years. I'd like to think I was. And so to be where we are today is, is kind of a bit, a bit interesting. Um, but again, um, there's lots of positives in this too, right? Yeah. I, you know what, you kind of look at it, it's almost like you had a crash landing maybe at the, 
at the first corner or there was a little, uh, you know, you sprain the ankle coming down the final stretch. I mean, we can make the analogies as to why, it, you know, it didn't happen. I do want to, I do want to kind of state that it actually did go, it did go virtual. So, yes. you know, before, because I really want this podcast to really be about encouraging people to have their own journey of getting out and moving their bodies and walking and running and learning how to do so. Cause some people, guess what? This is all you've got coming over the next couple of months. So you might as well do it. But what is in place? Let's just get that kind of okay. out there. What's in place right now with the virtual marathon? Okay. So this, yeah. this is actually really timely for a whole bunch of reasons. So one of the things that we did was we pivoted over to a virtual event, uh, a virtual Tamarack virtual Ottawa race weekend. And so we flipped all of the currently registered participants. So we had when we paused registration back in early March, we had 18,000 people registered. We were on target for about 33,000 people, which would have been roughly 2,500 more than we had last year. Everything was ticking along and then boom. So we, we wanted to figure out what we could do for those registered participants. So one of the things that we wanted to be able to do was to give them an opportunity to run their race. Um, it's kind of funny um, you know, we, we'd done a marketing campaign for race weekend around this idea about, you know, who will you run with? Right. <laughs> and it's kind of ironic that we've come to a, a part in our journey or a place in our journey where the person that you're going to run with, uh, is, is yourself. And, and so the virtual event gives everybody who's currently registered and we'll talk about new registrants because we've had a wave of those coming in since we opened registration to the general public, uh, again, last Tuesday, Wednesday, um, and we're scratching our heads in wonder as to why these people have registered. <laughs> and we'll get into that shortly. But, but essentially, you can go and run the race that you signed up for or that you have now newly signed up for uh, any time between May 15th and September 7th. You pick the route that you would like to take. We're encouraging you not to use our race weekend courses for some obvious reasons. Um, but you, you run your distance and you can record it however you like. You can, you know, measure it as accurately as you like. Nobody's going to question that. But you're going to go out on a day and you're going to run that race and you're going to upload a result to our, our uh, timing partner, Sports Stats. They have a complete portal where you can manually input your time. You can have it come from a Fitbit or a Garmin directly into their portal. They will produce a results page just like you would for a regular race. Um, there'll be a virtual finish line where you'll have a picture of yourself crossing the finish line. Um, you will get a medal and t-shirt sent to you. We've got some great swag to go in that package as well. And equally or more so importantly, we can continue to leverage the Scotiabank Charity Challenge, which is a huge part of what we do on Race Weekend. So there are some incredible reasons to do the virtual event, and it is it is attracting new participants. And it's amazing, absolutely amazing. I think that's exciting to hear, you know, that it wasn't uh, this negative downfall of response to, oh, well, cancel me out. I'm not interested at all in that. It, it was enticing for people who probably probably were intimidated, uh, hadn't really maybe necessarily thought a couple months ago that they'd have an opportunity to get out and maybe walk or run as much as they've been doing. Um, and I think understanding, and, and especially as you mentioned, the charity component. I mean, this is one of the major fundraisers that charities rely on from Tamarack Auto Race Weekend. It's a, it's a massive component. It's a huge component. It's almost a million dollars that we raise on any, any given year. Um, and so what's kind of interesting on people who are newly registering for the event. So we didn't change the pricing. So the pricing for a virtual entry is exactly the same as where we left off in the, in the real registration process in early March. So, you know, uh, the marathon was 139 bucks to enter. We have a number of what we call challenge events, which are combinations of the different distances that we run on each of the two days. And they're quite expensive. Some of them are $239. People are registering for those. And they're paying that price. Um, they're happily paying that price. And I've got some a theory about that as well. But I think they're happily paying that price. They're diving into the charity challenge piece. 
Um, and, and, you know, behind the scenes, we want to make it as super affordable for people to be able to enter as well. So, you know, if we hear through the grapevine that, you know, there's a whole family that wants to enter, but, you know, it's kind of expensive, we'll go through a process of making it super affordable for people. So um, we, we're encouraging people to come and do this. We're also encouraging them to be really active in the in the charity space to be able to support charities that are hugely in need right now. You know, their funding is going to be uh, uh, probably a limited proposition going forward. And that's really important to us. So it's pretty cool. And I also think like, I don't know about you, but you know, I'm not spending any money right now. You know, like I, I, I we sit at home, I've got a, I've got a 20, almost 21 year old who's at university in Toronto. Uh, he's in Toronto staying there. So, you know, Heather and I are at home, uh, we're working, we go for a run uh, we eat dinner, have a couple glasses of wine, and it's tomorrow, and the same thing happens again, right? So we're not really spending a ton of money. So I think for for people and families who are fortunate enough to be in that same boat, they're probably looking at, hey, geez, it's no problem paying 200 bucks to go do something. This is awesome. This is a, a great uh, tool to be active, a great piece for your mental health, which is something we'll talk about, which I think is, is massive right mm-hmm. now. So we're positive about the virtual piece, and I think it's 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 a lesson maybe to all of us, right? Absolutely. You know, I'm listening to you, and as you're talking, you know, and and talking about you and Heather and having, you know, you're working, you know, I look at that, and it's and it's like your your run is that release right from the workday uh, that you that you're able to have that. There are people who are contrary to you who have both lost their jobs, you know, or have no financial income coming in. And on the other spectrum, they're dealing with fear and uncertainty uh, and anxiety. And at the same time, I almost feel like saying you need to get outside and walk. (laughs) And, you know, it's almost like there's, there's the healing power of this coming from very different perspectives and where the release will be coming from, you know, uh, and, and I want people to realize that when we talk about the mental health part, how essential that is now going to be moving forward. It has been for the last six weeks and it will continue to be for the next couple of months. So this is, I want this to be an open-minded conversation for people to start thinking differently if they haven't been going for walks or getting outside or doing that. Are you sensing that? I'm sensing that hugely. So anecdotally and also just from um, messages that I'm getting from friends and family who are not fortunate to be uh, around other people, not fortunate enough to be working full time. I've spoken to a lot of friends, family friends, friends of ours that uh, are alone right now um, and probably not in a in a good financial place. Um, and we've been talking a lot about walking and and getting outside and running and just doing something to be physically active to break the cycle of of uh, you know a groundhog day scenario where every day kind of looks like the same day that it was yesterday and to be frank you know our spring weather hasn't been incredibly amazing and engaging right now and so um you know i've been trying to trying to make that point you know to say look getting out being active moving doing some kind of movement throughout your day is so much better than not doing that um it's easy i think sit down on the couch it's easy to get down and not do something um but you know there's not a ton of people out and about right now so i think it's like a a golden time to go for a run or a walk around sunrise when there's almost nobody out no cars and see the world in a slightly different place i think there's huge benefit in that massive benefit okay so let's let's go through this you are uh someone who would prefer to take the easier way out and and sit on the couch uh and you've dealt with depression uh or anxiety and for you it's easier to just not move and to not do anything how do we what's your first step what is is i mean gosh they might not even have a pair of running shoes i mean i'm talking for people to go out for a walk and to go for a run and and they might not even have a running shoe to be able to go and do it properly and have the support on the feet that you know that they need right so where do we start let's let's go where do we start on this you start by making that that simple action um easy to execute and i i mean that kind of in a in a simple way so if you do have stuff to run in for example and we'll we'll work backwards okay you know a lot of us aren't getting particularly well dressed in the mornings to begin with right 
So today was a perfect example. I was struggling a little bit to figure out when I was going to run today. And I suffer a little bit from, um, you know, inactivity sometimes where I'll choose uh, opening a beer as opposed to going for a workout. So when I woke up this morning, I uh, put on my running shorts because, uh, you know, I'm again, I'm lucky enough to have a treadmill in, in the basement. So I put on some running shorts, put my sweatpants over top, put a T-shirt on, did some work. But I was already dressed to go running, right? So that principle that I'm already partially prepared, right? So even if you don't have things to run with, even if you just have simple things to walk with, get yourself dressed, like make an effort to get dressed in the stuff that you would go out the door in. And and if you're struggling to go out the door, you know, look at what you're wearing every five or 10 minutes and go, geez, like I'm all ready to go. Um, I guess I should probably go. I've known people who have actually gone to the point of putting on their jacket, even though it's warm inside their house or their apartment, but they put on a jacket and they've gone, I've put on the jacket because it's going to make me go for a walk because I'm going to be really warm in another half hour. So there's lots of little tricks like that, right? Little things like if it's just a pair of shoes that you have to go for a walk, make an intentional effort to stick them in the way so that, that you almost have to trip over them. So that if you're walking past that place in your house, it's like, oh, my shoes are there again, you know, and so put them on, put them on and go for a walk. I think you have to like break it down into simple steps and trick yourself into into going and doing something that you might not always be uh, really eager to do. You know, I say this in a lot of clinics that I have coached over the years, you know, my own personal experience, you know, I've been a runner since I was eight years old. I have a love hate relationship with it. Um, I'm as prone to uh, inactivity and, you know, not wanting to go in and look after my own mental health by going for a walk or run sometimes. So I find trickery really works in that, in that instance. And whether it's just as simple as putting a jacket on or organizing your running stuff so that it's easy to go out the door, I think that's probably an essential first step, right? Because I would, sorry, I would preface this. There's almost nobody I know that's put on their running shoes or put on their shoes and their clothes to go for a walk or a run that actually hasn't gone out the door once they're all dressed and ready to go. Like, do you know of anybody that, you know, gets to the door handle, turns it and says, I'm all dressed. I'm not doing this now. You know, of course you're going to go out the door, even if it's for 10 minutes or five minutes. And, you know, the other thing that I would say that's super important is that, you know, maybe in the current environment that we're in right now, part of the stress on society is that we're all supposed to be highly functional. We're all supposed to be um, capable of doing things. And this idea that that for some people running or walking has to turn into a competitive thing. I should be able to run for an hour. I should be able to walk for half an hour. What's wrong with going out the door and walking around the block, right? What's wrong with going out the door and running for 10 minutes, right? You don't have to open the door and run for, uh, you know, for three hours to make yourself feel like you're capable and that you're worthy of doing this stuff. Like, it's just simple, right? It's just one trip around the block. It's just one kilometer. It's just, it's just the act of going out and doing it, right? No, oh, I love that. I really do. And it, and it is trying to let people know there's there's no competitive aspect. There's no one clocking you. There's no one no. checking in. It's it's how you feel once you've done that block. And maybe after you've done that block, you're like, you know what? I might be able to do a second block. And it's right. getting through that second block. And, and that's where the joy or you get fulfilled in knowing that you can continue to extend it and, and, and be able to gain each time you're out on that so for you I love I love the tips of getting dressed it's so true right if sometimes I put on my gym stuff and I'm just like I'm already and I you know if for me to put on a sports bra that's that says something entirely different to me right than putting on my normal bra it really does the sports bra signifies something completely different than me just putting on the normal bra that goes under so yep. it's, that's so true I love I love that okay so we're out the door um we're we're starting out for those that are starting, simply walking is the way you're going to start. You don't walk out the door and start running. By the way, you right. can try that. A minute later, you're done and you're huffing and puffing and you're going, I'm not doing that again. Right. Yeah. So, you know, if you want to become a new runner and and there are all kinds of new runners, like I walk the dog a few times a day now because I've got nothing else to do. So... I see people who I clearly know are not runners, right? They don't have traditional run clothing on. They don't look like they run regularly, but 
oh, it's so good to see them out, right? And it's just like they're doing it in this stuff. So you know they're new. So, you know, where, like, what's the starting point, right? So it's it's walking with a little bit of running. It's walking with a little less running and a little more running. And then eventually maybe it's all running at some point, right? But it's it's part of this journey where, again, the goal needs to be super simple. The goal needs to be easy to execute and it needs to leave you, I think, wanting more. So if your goal is to do two blocks and you're going to, um, you know, walk 75% of those two blocks and run 25% and you get back to your front door or the front of your building, you know, the best thing that you could say to yourself is that was amazing. I could have gone three times that long, but I'm not going to today, right? I'm going to save that for tomorrow. And I'm going to create another little goal where maybe I do 80% of that is, is uh, or sorry, 70% of that is walking and 30% is running. And just small little pieces that you can bite off that, that leave you wanting a, a little bit more, right? Again, it's just like really simple things. You know, you know as a competitive athlete yourself that small goals, little things that are executable um, create like a, a bigger a bigger piece of what you're building, right? Little things all add up in the end. And I'm just, I'm digressing because I had a coach years ago um, who had this pyramid to success, right? So we all got this sheet. Um, and, you know, the first thing on the top of the pyramid was, get out of bed in the morning. So that was the first piece of the whole pyramid. And then it was your workouts, your nutrition, da, 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 da. But all, everything kind of fed into each other, right? And just, again, the same thing with your, with your intention around running and walking. Um, try to do a little less than you think you're capable of doing so that it leaves you wanting more. You know, there's people though that will have, and, and the, the excuses will come out quickly. I don't have, I have weak knees, my feet turn in, it hurts my hips. Like, how do we build it up so that they will eventually feel as they're feeling better that oftentimes the pain will diminish because they're getting stronger and their joints and everything are actually able to handle the pressure and the movement a lot better. I think one of the things that that we try to do is we, again, we go back and look at what the expectations are around how we should approach this. My friend, she runs half marathons all the time. I heard that she went out and ran 14 kilometers this morning. I'm going to go out and run eight because I'm a new runner. Um, And then I'm going to come home. I'm going to feel awful because I haven't been doing this regularly. So uh, I'm not going to be able to run for three more days because my muscles hurt. uh, My shins hurt. um, It's not good. So I always take the approach where um, more often and way shorter and way less time is incredibly more potent. So if you think that you could handle running 5K every day, then run 2K twice a day, right? And the more that you that you do something repetitively throughout the day, um, the less it hurts or the less that it feels bad. So think of all of us like we all walk around every day, right? Even if we're not fit, some of us may not be fit at all. We're still capable of walking somewhere, um, but we do that continuously all day long. And so for most of us, that doesn't really hurt, right? You know, I walk to the bus, I walk to the car, I walk, you know. So take the same approach with your running. Do it two or three times a day, but super, super short so that your muscles, all of your soft tissue is used to that activity, that it's a a thing that it goes back to regularly. And sure, you're going to be a little bit sore and a little bit tired, um, but it'll eventually go away if you do it in those small chunks and you allow your body the time to get accustomed to it. Um, if you, you know, run out the door and think that you're going to run as hard as you possibly can for as far and long as you can, you know, you'll be injured in three or four days. And, and more importantly, you'll lose your, your mental tenacity around what you're doing and you won't be engaged to it. And you also need to consider why you're doing this and, and what are you doing while you're outside? What things are you looking at? Are you playing little games where you can count how many red doors you see while you're out running? I always like to create these little sort of micro games when I'm out for a run of the things that I see, right? How many tan colored dogs have I seen? How many cats did I see today? Um, you know, just little little games you can play and then you can make a little conscious note of that later, but it keeps you engaged and, and it also makes you feel part of the world that you're moving through. Oh my God, I love that. 
little yeah. games. I used to, you know, for me, I'm not a strong runner. Um, you know what I have, I've done, I've done the 10 K a couple of times with race weekend. I did the half marathon. Uh, I did the half marathon in a tribute to my dad. My dad, uh, had passed away of a heart attack when he was 57. And that next year, uh, I did, I did the run. So it took me a while to kind of gear up towards it. Uh, I was grateful to have done it. It was emotional. And then I was done. I'm like, I'm good. I'm going back to like my nice little five K runs <laughs> that I actually enjoy, uh, and not pushing it, you know, but it was almost like one of those bucket list items. It was just something I wanted to physically and mentally achieve uh, to be able to do that. But I did play games. It was like, I just need to get to this next post, right? Or like, let's count how many light posts we go before we hit, you know, something. And right. so I like, I like the idea of playing games um, in your mind because that's one way, right? It's just to be acknowledging of what's around you. Yeah. A lot of people say that their runs can be almost meditative. You know, they get into a meditation or they get into something. So I'm, I'm interested to know for you because you spent so much time running, so much time on a bike. Where do, you know, where do people go when they say that they're in almost like a meditative state when they're in doing these activities? I, so personally, I guess, you know, I'll go back to sort of the reasons that I started running. Um, I think um, for far too many complicated reasons to discuss here, I started running because I was running away from some things. Um, I didn't realize that at the time, but that was my first uh, foray into escapism. So, you know, I'm not particularly artistic. And so I felt that, you know, I could express that uh, some fears that I had and some desires to distance myself from uh, aspects of reality, uh, I found running was a, a, an incredible tool for that. And what I also found, uh, and why I reference that, is because the meditative state for me is, is I feel like I can move through the world invisibly when I'm running. Um, and maybe that's what I liked when I was a little kid. It made me feel invisible. And so... Um, when I'm out running, I feel like I, I move through this world, but it's my own. It's nobody else's. Everybody's moving much more slowly than I am. And I feel like I'm in, um, you know, a TV episode where everybody's frozen in time and I just keep moving through this world. And so it's incredibly relaxing. It's incredibly peaceful. And it's just mine. It's only mine. Right. And nobody else's. I run very rarely with other people. I do, do, I do enjoy doing it when I do run with other people, but it's a different experience, right? And I'm not always the most talkative person when I'm running, even when I'm running with great friends, um, because I, I'm used to being in that sort of that world. And I would go back, and I would say when you are um, hoping to get something spiritual or immensely fulfilling out of, out of something like running or walking, you know, be intentional when you're done and, and, and make a note or a log or a journal what that journey was like. Um, what did it feel like? Did it feel as good as the last time you went? Why didn't it feel that good? Of course, it's not going to feel good every time. You're not going to be able to engage in that process. But I think the idea of, of, of a meditation using running as a meditation is something that's really unique to everybody. And I think it, it stems back to why you started doing this, right? Why did you become a runner in the first place? A lot of people don't ever ask themselves that question. A lot of people uh, are not able to answer that question. But I think it's an integral part of how you engage going forward, right? So I've, uh, I'm 55. I've been running since I was eight. So uh, math, mm, that's hard. 47 years. I probably haven't gone more than 10 days in 47 years without running. And to be clear, I've hated it half the time and loved it the other half, but there's there's a connection and there's something that I, clearly I need from doing it. Um, and I think everybody needs to explore that as part of the process. It's just not enough to say I should go run every day because I'm told that it's good for me. So I'm going to go and run. That's not enough. You've got to expand that a little bit and say, OK, well, why is it good for me? Why do I like it? Why didn't I like it today? That's part of the journey. I think because I've done so many interviews on this topic and been <laughs> exposed to a lot, I know, you know, having even done work with like Phil Marsh or the running room or different things, the programs that they've had for addiction, you know, yeah. how addicts have, um, I should say, substance abuse disorder, people who suffer from substance use disorder, yeah. and I'm learning the language needs to be changed, <laughs> you know, where the... 
the process has been almost to outrun, you know, the cravings um, or the need or the feeling of, of, of needing to use. Um, I've seen things through the Royal Ottawa with mental health, um, with schizophrenics or people who yeah. are almost yeah. outrunning, outrunning the voice, you know, like there are, you know, that just gives me shivers because I think about what that individual must feel like to outrun the person in the head right like there are so many things and so many places where people go within those runs that is their salvation is that space is that safe space for them and it is and it's uniquely yours right so um even if you tow the start line at tamarack ottawa race weekend with thirty-three thousand other people that journey is uniquely yours right um whether you're going to sign up and go out the door and do our virtual event. It's uniquely yours again. Um, And so sometimes the introspection of that action, uh, the things that you're running to or running away from, because I think think there's there's a pull and push for a lot of people. I think some people are running towards something, others are moving away from something, but it's your space and your time to be able to, to take on some of those thoughts. And I think, you know, we've been in some ways blessed with this last four or five, six weeks. Some people shoot me for saying that, but, you know, it, it's given us a chance to slow down, right? It's given us a chance, whether we're in a wonderfully stable situation or not in a stable situation, the world is moving slowly now. Um, and I think it gives us an opportunity to just think a little bit more and to, and to decide some of the things that are important to us. And, what better way to work through some of that stuff than to go out for a walk or a run? It's, a, it's an incredibly amazing place to solve problems. The other thing that I love about running is being creative and with solutions to things. Um, you know when you have like a dream and you wake up in the morning and if you don't write it down right away, it disappears, right? It just, I don't know, it's like, it's, it's ethereal. It just kind of goes and it's gone. I've like come up with some of the craziest, most amazing things. At least I think they've been amazing while I've been out running. And I now start, well, now I have for probably the last 20 years, written them down because they go, they, they're fleeting. And that's just, just a simple, more oxygen uptake to your brain. I think you think a little more creatively. So there's, there's that. For, for people who are truly creative and artistic, I think it's what an amazing medium to be able to start creating uh, as long as you can harness that. So there's so many powerful things. And particularly right now, uh, we don't have a lot of things that are are able to occupy our time. I mean, I think that we've moved through this world for all these years using all the things we do as a distraction from thinking about things, right? We all have have demons that we chase or chase us. And I think sometimes like we, we haven't been blessed with time to think about some of these things, whether we like to or not, and we found distractions. And so I think... It's simple. Pretty much everybody uh, who's listening to this podcast can walk. Um, maybe take the first steps into running a little bit more. Um, reconnect with your running if you've been missing it for a number of years. There's, there's no time better than this. Um, it's pretty easy to avoid people while you're out running. Um, and it's pretty easy to move through the world on your own terms. It's a pretty awesome time. I love your description, though, of... Uh it's almost like out of a superhero movie, right? Like you're moving and everything else is like slow motion. I'm going to yeah. try that next time I'm out there, you know, to to kind of sense it or feel it like that. I think that's that's brilliant. A lot of the times that I get pushback from is people say, I'm, t- I'm too old, it's passed me by. Uh, why start now? I've, I've managed this long without it. You know, why bother? It drives me insane. But I, I to this day, I will go down fighting. <laughs> I will fight my messaging until the end of time. It is never, it is never too late. So, you know, do you see people, have you seen over your experience, people who have taken this up much later in life? Absolutely. All kinds of people. There's so much historical, um, um, there's so much historical um, stories, anecdotal stuff from people that took this up in their, you know, early 70s, you know, early, late 80s, you know, if you can move, you can do this. And language is really important. And I think within the race community and the event community, language is really important. We do not use words like um, racer uh, or in a very limited context. 
athlete. We use we use words like participant, guest, right? We think of a lot of our participants as our guests. They're coming to share in something huge with us, something that's uh, powerful as a group and an organized event, but you're our guest here and you're going to have your guest experience, right? And I think that some of that is um, less intimidating for people who are afraid to get involved. Look, we have people, you know, we have elite runners from Kenya who run our marathon in two hours and five, six, seven, eight, nine minutes, right? Uh, a couple of hours. We have people that are struggling to finish this in under six or seven hours, right? Um, and both ends are struggling to some degree, but there's a space in there for absolutely everybody. So if you can move, you can start doing this. And tons of people have embarked on this journey later in life. I think um, there are some advantages to it. You know, your body actually is kind of young athletically in that regard. So if you've been running for 47 years, you have a body that's, you know, beaten to death. I think it's kind of somebody in their 60s or 70s just starting to run again uh, or starting to run for the first time. They're, they've got a great place to start from. So, yeah, I would totally encourage that. On the other spectrum, what it does for our children. I mean, you've done a, a great job at promoting this for, well, I miss the schooling system, but, you know, <laughs> for them to have uh, run, you know, at school or they do these projects and then they come and run that final stretch uh, at uh, race weekend, but also to get children into into running and into that being their expression of getting kind of the, their demons out in certain ways, uh, children that have, you know, behavioral or ADHD or attention. What have you seen there on the other spectrum with the younger generation as to what it's done? Yeah, I think um, we at Run Ottawa are working, have worked and will continue to work harder at our, our Run Ottawa Kids program. So uh, our program speaks to exactly the same kind of thing that you're talking about. And there's two modes really for getting children involved. Uh, one is obviously a role model uh, situation where mom, dad, mom or dad or grandparents are runners uh, are actively involved in the sport. And it's an easy segue and an easy um, vehicle to get the kids involved in. But then there's a whole other side of it where um, kids are uh, socioeconomically impacted and don't have access to running. They don't have access to people in their lives who run. And so our programs are, are actively going into schools and targeting that, that particular audience, right? We want to make running accessible to, to absolutely everybody. And we want to expose people um, and kids in particular who have never thought of it as a metaphor for, uh, you know, life change or dealing with some of the things they're dealing with. And I think it's hugely possible. I'll reference myself. You know, I started to run because of some of those things. Uh, we had an athletic family, but nobody ran. It was, the, you know, it was the 70s. No, nobody was really running in the 70s, right? We were playing golf yeah. and skiing. Yeah. And, that, so. and you were still making ashtrays in art class <laughs> to spend home. I remember the 70s, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, but I became a runner because there was something that, that, that I found in that when I was introduced to it at school, actually. And, you know, I've I've decried for so long the the decay of intramural programs within our schools, not just our elementary schools, but um, the intramural programs that happen in middle school and high school. The lack of physical education in our school system, uh, I think it's 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 shameful actually, and I think that that we need to do a better job with that aspect of of how we teach kids. Um, and I think uh, yeah, that's a much longer conversation, but yeah. but I think it's really important to be able to reach out to those sort of marginalized communities and say, look, you should consider running as as part of uh, mental health, as part of what you're doing for your kids and getting them involved as well. And it's a great equalizer, right? Um, running really at the core of it, um, the equipment is pretty simple. It's running shoes and something comfortable to wear, you know, um, and Access even to running shoes can be challenging sometimes, but we also make strides to help with that as well. Um, so it's, I think it's the great equalizer. We all have bodies. We can all move our feet as little kids, and I think it's, it truly is an equalizer. I love that. I, I think it's interesting, and, and 
While in many of my podcasts, I would have gone deep with you, Ian, and to uh, to figure out why at the age of eight you started running, because people know <laughs> on my podcast, I I will typically go to the deepest point and pull you from there. But for the sake of this being, you know, um, really about yeah. getting others inspired and out, I, I do want to kind of go through it because I'm not all the way back, but, you know, you start to run. Mm-hmm. for you because I think sometimes people just they see an example and there's there's this correlation you start running uh and then I think was there a, a bad accident did you have a car accident what was it because that led you to being on a bike for most of your, yeah. your younger years yeah Is that it? was there was a car accident wasn't there yeah I got in a in a car accident when I was about uh 19 I guess um, and, uh, I didn't have a car anymore. So I got some insurance money and, and, and with that, I bought a bicycle, which was my first, my first bike. And, um, yeah, the, the nature of that car accident, I didn't deserve another car. So, um, you know, it was a car that I'd saved up for and all of that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, to make a very long story short, that was my introduction to, to riding. Right. Um, and I thank that car accident to this day. Thankfully, nobody else was involved or hurt. But uh, yeah, yeah. It it changed the trajectory, I think, of hugely. where your passions, where your life were went. It hugely changed, uh, absolutely changed the trajectory of my life. And I had no idea that that was um, the case until probably, probably a decade after that, right? The realization that I made that that was hugely, well, it changed the entire direction of my life in so many ways, right? Um, uh, yeah, and wow, I've never not thought about that so much. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to my podcast, yeah. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> well, you you start, you, you're you writing, you're writing yeah. everywhere, um, yeah. and that, you know, and you were good at it. I mean, yeah. as much as you are a runner, that's that wasn't your first passion. I mean, I think cycling and that led to the triathlons. And I mean, you were traveling, you were traveling the world like you were competing for Canada. Yeah. What what does it take? Like I cry every single time I watch uh, the Iron Man, the coverage. Yeah. Like I like yeah. sit down knowing that I can't wait to cry listening to all of the stories, the inspirational stories. But when you're dealing with a triathlon, it's it's much faster. It's it's a much faster pace, right? Yeah. People need to realize the difference between those sports. Like what's yeah. the survival mode for you in that? Like you are, you are depleting absolutely everything yeah. to be able to, to cross the line there. Yeah, and I think, you know, if, if we're talking about athletic motivation, I think in the world of endurance sports, people gravitate towards, um, you have to love a certain kind of of pain, I guess, or a certain kind of discomfort. And I think the world of triathlon is really, you know, broken up at the competitive level into the distance, uh, a shorter distance event that's about two hours long that you would see in the Olympics or Ironman, which is at the elite end is an eight, nine hour endeavor. Um, and the, the kinds of discomfort and pain around those two things are entirely different, right? So the shorter events of two hours in length, um, they are all out efforts and they require uh, so much cardiovascular engagement um, at the high end, the anaerobic threshold part of that whole whole compendium, whereas the Ironman is more patient, it's more mental, it's more purely aerobic in its, in its um, nature, and it also hurts in so many different ways, mentally, emotionally, and the physical def- depletion of resources, right? And so, you know, I kind of walked both of those worlds. I think I was more comfortable in the shorter events. I think I liked that kind of hurt and pain more. I think there was almost, I don't know whether it was cathartic in some ways that that just felt so good when it was done. It felt so good when you were doing it, but it felt so good when you were done. It was like a yeah, almost like a good kind of punishment that you kind of wanted to have, right? And I, again, I would say there's probably a psychology involved there. You know, most most people that I raced with that that liked that shorter distance racing kind of, I think, kind of shared that same kind of mental sensibility around uh, around around uh, penance, around pain, around that whole sort of idea, you know, of punishing yourself for whatever individual reason. But I knew lots of people that kind of operated in that same vein. Do you miss punishing yourself or did you come to some peace with parts of you that don't need (laughs) to be punished anymore? 
I do miss it. <laughs> I do. Uh, I do. I miss the way that that just the the sheer pain, you know. And if you watched, you know, uh, an Olympic distance triathlon, and you watch somebody cross the finish line and and basically collapse, or even an Ironman, like what an incredible feeling that is. Like what a what a an incredible end to your work day in, in that context, right? Um, and I think pushing as hard as you could, or pushing the limits of what you could do physically, was was one of the real joys of, of that whole process. It was just to be able to know that that it might be successful, it might not be successful, but you would try as hard as you possibly could in any possible way to achieve a result or to work as hard as you could. So I think it was incredibly powerful in that regard. I think I want people to acknowledge that what your victory or your feeling was of finishing a two-hour-plus elite triathlon could be very similar to Mary Jane crossing the finish line of a 5K had she never thought something like that was even possible. Like it's that euphoria, insane. like that feeling is so possible that they can experience what you talk about at an elite, at an elite level, that that similar feeling can overtake them just on a, on a much different scale, but that's their victory. Like that, that's their championship thing does it's that make any sense thing yeah it's absolutely i still do triathlons i still do running races and i still work as absolutely hard as i possibly can um i feel the same way i'm significantly slower significantly not the athlete that i was but that doesn't matter it you know i don't feel that different when i cross the finish line it feels exactly the same you know there's there's no prize money at the end when I'm done anymore. There's no sponsor coming up and shaking my hand, and you know there's no uh, there's none of that and all the trappings that go with that. But there is there is this huge sense of accomplishment, and it is exactly the same uh, as that new mom who struggled to go and run a 5k um as, as that uh, grandfather who's doing his first run ever. It's we all we absolutely share every aspect of that experience it's no different and if people are watching this and saying oh i'm sure you know if i'm crossing the you know the finish line uh, in the olympic 100 meters i'm you can't tell me that feels the same way as it does it does it's the same thing it really is and that goes back to this idea that this is this is about you this is your chance to be um completely uh, a part of your own experience, part of your own journey to get to that ultimate final day when you're going to do your event or you're going to, you know, you're going to sign up for an event and do it. Like that's about you, and it, we all share that. And there's nothing uh, unique to the elite athlete in that regard. It's the same thing. Okay, so this is my question now. I'm hoping, like, even for one person right now to be like, okay. Ian, Leanne, I'm going to go put on my running shoes that I haven't put on for a while and I'm going to go out. What do you suggest? Do you think they should, okay, sit here right now, make a commitment, go online and say, I'm going to press the register for a 5K and have that, that, have that done and then go out and say, I've already signed up. I need to now do it. Or would you say to people, go out, do your little tips that you had talked about earlier. Just yeah. put on maybe running shoes and and have the shoes by the door. Get out a little bit and you know how it, see how it feels and maybe then do it. Like what what's your best mental prep? Is there a game? There is a game. game, but you did say trickery earlier in this podcast. So where's the trickery to this? Trickery. So so here's the trickery. So I like option number one, signing up for the five k. But before you do that. You've got to ask yourself, why am I signing up for the 5K, right? What is it in me that has made me decide that I want to do the 5K? So I would say that if the answer to that is because I'm being forced to by my partner, I'm being forced to by my girlfriend, being forced to by my buddy uh, who plays hockey with me on uh, Friday nights at 11 o'clock, um, I might suggest that that's a poor idea for going and pushing that button and creating a, a, a point of motivation. Um, if you've always thought that you wanted to do a 5K, but you were shy to do one and you weren't sure, um, and you had been doing a little bit of running and you wanted to go you know, do that, okay, that's okay. But I like the other option about saying, you know, 
I'm going to run for other reasons other than just this race or this event. I'm going to run for me. I'm going to run for my mental health. I'm going to run for my physical well-being. And after I've been run walking, walk running for a while, I would say, hmm, people do this in an organized event format. I think I'd like to try that, right? And then go and push the button and then get the extra sort of motivation of having now an event to go with what started off as a as a singular pursuit for yourself, right? Then you're going to join the greater world, the greater community of running, which now we see as virtual, it's real, it's everywhere now, which I think is amazing. So I think the whole world of running just got a lot bigger because of what we're going through, not smaller. So I, I like that. I like that other approach. Do it for yourself. Do it because you enjoy it. It's good for you on a whole bunch of levels. Maybe it's good because it means you're a role model for your kids. Maybe it means that you're um, fighting some some addictive tendencies or an addiction of some sort. Um, maybe it is a great tool for other aspects of mental health or whether you want to lose some weight. Um, but look at look at the personal reason first before maybe you think that the motivation should be hitting that register button. Because the register button will be really easy to hit after you've created a set of positive reasons for why you're doing it in the first place. Hmm. I like that. I really do. And then we talked a lot about the mental, the mental health of it. But once you start to go and the calories are starting to come off and you get lighter, yeah, uh, you know, <laughs> it's a different sensation. I, you know, I tell people all the time, I don't own a scale. I, I, I'm totally against scales or, or weighing in or any of that. But when you just feel a little different, when you feel that extra burst of energy in the middle of the day, or you felt like you went a little bit faster, like your body knows it's reacting. Like you will start to sense that your body is doing it for you. Like there's so many other benefits that you might not even be aware of prior to even going out for that first walk or walk run or whatever it is you're heading out the door to do. Yeah, 100%. And things, again, going back to, you know, whether you journal or you keep notes about things or you just note stuff, like, there are all kinds of positive benefits that you'll get. And we didn't even touch on those things. Like, you'll sleep better. You'll feel better. And if you actually you know, make a note of these things. It's true. You know, I woke up this morning not feeling like crap every morning. You know, I feel like I want to get out of bed today because I feel more energetic. I feel like I've lost some weight. Um, I think this is great. I'm going to continue doing it for these reasons. So there are there are things that happen that if you let them just pass you by without giving them honor and paying attention to them, you'll miss them. Right. But they're there. Um, and it's it's only evident if you take the time to kind of note them. And it's really evident if you stop and realize what you're missing when you've stopped running, right? Okay, so with that being said, and I want people, hopefully by the end of this, they are totally motivated to go take the run, <laughs> Suzette and go. So, what would you suggest? Because we hit on a lot of things, mental, physical, but nutrition, or what do you suggest for people to have or to recover from if they're just starting, right? Their body is going to react and... Um, what would you say is a good thing to consume prior to or consume when you've come in? And it, it's different if you've come in from like, if you've come in from walking around the block, you don't need to, <laughs> there's nothing you need to add to your system. You do no. not need to be having the Gatorade. Okay. That's the one thing. Like you don't need that Gatorade coming in from walking no. around the block, but what, what would you, what are your suggestions? What would, what did you like to do or what do you know others do before so, and after? So the first thing that's obvious for everybody is that by and large, most of us walk around uh, through daily life chronically dehydrated to begin with, right? Um, so some of us are much better at that than others. So if you're going to embark on something new in this regard, um, absolutely start thinking about, about your, your fluid intake and how much water you're consuming and just make a conscious effort to think about what you normally do on a day-to-day -day basis and, and starting to up that a little bit, maybe by about 10% for the first week, just to make sure that that um, you've got enough fluid on board. I think that's really important. I think for starters and for new people who are starting, the idea about planning when you're going to eat around your, around your runs as well. So most of us, uh, and I think this is absolutely true, um, some of us like to do stuff in the mornings 
Uh, others of us hate doing it in the morning and like doing it later in the day. Find out who you are. Are you a morning person in terms of your workouts or are you an afternoon or evening person? So as soon as you can define that, then you're more apt to execute that activity in that time slot, right? So if you're a morning person and you do foolish things like load your morning up with all kinds of work and other things, then you're never going to run in the morning, right? So the same thing with structuring how you eat. So say, yeah, you know, I really love to run in the morning, but I got to figure out how to structure my breakfast time around when I'm going to run. Simple things like that. Make a plan to say, okay, well, I'm going to run before I eat breakfast and then I'm going to have breakfast right when I'm done. So I think it's not so much for the new participant about what they should be eating. Keep it simple. You don't need a ton of Gatorade or other fancy sports drinks. Uh, if you're just embarking and you're running three, four times a week and you're running somewhere between three and 10 kilometers for each run, you need to make sure you're hydrated. That's water, plain, simple water. But governing and managing your meal times around when you feel your best opportunity to run would be. I think that's equally as important. I think that's, yeah, that's everything really. You have a snack. Do you do like a banana? Do you do something? Is there anything for you? Yeah, I like uh, a toast with pesto sauce on it and butter. Pesto. Butter, yeah. That's yeah. good. Rye bread too. It's got to be like good rye bread. Like a good toasted rye bread with a little yeah. butter and yep. some pesto. Oh and my God, that's that. Yeah, that's awesome. Like, like some fresh, I see it like fresh, right? Like a good yeah. fresh. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds yeah. really good. Oh, maybe a little yeah. avocado on there. A little. I, I've never tried that, but I would do that. So like I will freeze uh, ice cube trays full of, of pesto, right? So if I know I'm going for a run, like I'll pop one out and make sure that it's melted down by the time I get back and I'll put that on there. And it's great because it's savory. I like, I hate this. I hate sweet stuff. I'm not a sweet liker. And so I, I need savory when I'm done. For some reason that just speaks to me and it's like, mm, so good. So good. Totally going to try that. That's like some pretty good things. Yeah. Do you think we've covered out like what have I missed anything in? I, you know, for me, I, I'm always just trying to inspire even just one person to make a to make a small shift or a change. Like what what do you think? Like what's the final call to action here? As you know, you've had to embark on something completely different, you know, yeah. a big new job to have it just thrown <laughs> <laughs> and voila, surprise, COVID, uh, you know, because we will get through this. And at the end of the day, this will all kind of make its way back. And there will be times when you will have thousands of people cheering you on at the finish line. And that will come a day where you'll have those people clapping for you. But what do you say now? Like, what is the call to action uh, for people, even just over the next couple of weeks, couple of months? What do you want them to take? I want them to 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 take this away and to think about signing up for an event um, based on the fact that you've fallen in love or are having a newfound relationship with running and run walking and sign up for an event, even though you might not feel confident that that's something you should do uh, or could do, but understand that it should be a celebration of, of this new sort of passion that you've cultivated or this new activity that you've been doing and understand that that running events now and they have been for two decades three decades are about participation they're about a celebration of you as a runner um, and there's nothing cooler than standing at the start line of a big race and I can remember maybe 10 years ago eight years ago I did the Paris Marathon and I remember standing on the Champs-Élysées and looking behind me at the Arc de Triomphe and thinking this is the coolest thing I have ever seen. The road kind of goes a little bit up like this to the arc. And I turned around and there's like 50,000 people behind me. And I'm thinking, this is so cool. Who cares about the run I'm about to do? I'll figure that out once the gun goes. But this is a really special moment to be alone celebrating my own thing with 50,000 other people. And I think we don't often get a chance to do that unless we go to a concert, right? So we go to we go and see a, a band play in front of 30,000 people and everybody Facebooks it and goes, ah, it was amazing, I was there, I was there, and that's cool. But it's really cool when you can share that with somebody and think of it as your reward, your celebration to be able to, to thank yourself for taking on something new or rediscovering your running again. Mm, I love that, this is really good. So uh, runottawa.ca? that where I'm sending people right now for yes, the virtual indeed. okay runottawa.ca something to consider this is going to be your own personal project it you have the time 
You have uh, unlimited resources right now. The streets are kind of bare. You, you don't even really have to look around for many cars in your way. Keep that in mind also. You know, this is uh, this is that time to maybe give that gift back to yourself and get yourself moving. And honestly, start by walking around the block. It's the best way to go, right, Ian? Yep. It's a walk around the block. Yep. 100%. All right. We got it. Uh, best of luck with this new virtual uh, Tamarack race weekend. Thank you. It's still, you know, I think it's still definitely going to be something to be talked about. And people have right through until September. Is that right? To yeah, September 7th. To get in on this? So September 7th is yeah. kind of like that final final kind of stretch to the finish line. That's the finish that, line. That, yeah, there's, <laughs> there is your finish line. Yep. Uh, and lots of great opportunity. Ian, really appreciate you being here. Thank you so much. Thanks, uh, and that is a, another episode of Living Your Life with Leanne Lang. And please, you know what, on this one, let me know if some of you started to get outside. I want to know that you laced up your shoes and, uh, and went out and went around the block. I really want to hear some feedback from this, people who might have even actually signed up to be able to do the race. Have a great day, everyone. Thanks, as always, for listening, for sharing, for letting people know the podcast is out there. Have a good one. It's said that the more time you have to invest, the greater the return. Well, guess what? Kids have the most time if we learn to invest early. That's why I created the Cash Kid Podcast, where I teach kids and some adults financial skills they need to know on how to earn, save, and invest their money. Join me on this journey as we interview experts and explore topics that allow you to grow your money as kids. This podcast will help you become the money expert among your family and friends. Just remember, anyone can be a cash kid. You just have to learn how to become one. Get ready to grow your financial knowledge and your wallet with the Cash Kid Podcast.